God, thank you for uh, gathering us uh, this Friday evening uh, so that we could hear from you and speak to you from your word, uh, through your word, and uh, in our prayers. Lord, we pray that you would uh, meet with us and lead us, guide our prayers, and answer them, Lord. Help us to pray according to your will. And remind us, Lord, of your steadfast love, which is the basis for our salvation. From Psalm 85. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 85 is a short psalm. It's a, there's a subtitle that says, To the Choir Master, a Psalm of the Sons of Korah. So I'll just read it out loud and we'll uh, look into it briefly. Lord, uh, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Regret, right, is is what we feel when we're sorry for something we've done and wish to turn the clock back, but we are helpless to do so. We can't repair it or restore it. Uh, But repentance is when we feel sorry for something we have done, but we actually turn back, right? We uh, seek to restore the wrong we have done. And, and unfortunately, all of our lives, and as we grow older, I think we have more and more of uh, regrets. Uh, but fortunately, when it comes to the most important thing about life, right, our relationship with God, uh, there's always a chance for repentance. And Psalm 85, really the main point is that we should repent and return to the God who restores us. Um, and in verses 1 to 7, we find an appeal to God's steadfast love. And then in verses 8 to 13, we find an affirmation of God's steadfast love. And so the psalmist is clearly writing from a place of distress and suffering. Because uh, he says, restore us again, O God of our salvation, right in, in verse 4. And he sees this, uh, we can tell from the context, uh, that, he's, that he, the psalmist thinks that this suffering is a direct result of God's anger, right? his indignation with them. Uh, while this obviously isn't true for uh, all of our suffering and the evil we experience, because we, uh, but but some sins really are. I mean, I mean, some some suffering that we experience really are due to our sins. Uh, so it's like John five fourteen, for example, Jesus tells an invalid that he just healed. He tells him, "Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you." Right? Clearly implying that his his disability really stemmed from his sin. Uh, but then again, in John 9, 3, uh, same book, Jesus says of a man blind from birth, 
it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Right? So we can't simplistically say that all suffering is a form of divine punishment, but it is true that sin has consequences. And in this case, the psalmist knows that the suffering of his nation was directly connected to, the sins, to, to their sins against God. Um, and so even though we don't know the exact setting, uh, historical setting behind this, really the kind of the generic nature of the psalm and the distress that the psalmist is writing from really helps us to apply to all situations in our any circumstance and suffering that we may be going through. And, uh, and so the psalmist is praying to God, restore us again. Uh, and as he does that, what's really uh, uh, helpful uh, is that he doesn't appeal to the nation's worthiness to be saved. Right? Uh, he doesn't re- you know, appeal to uh, their deservingness, but to God's steadfast love. So first, in verses 1 to 3, he starts by remembering, recalling how God delivered them in the past. Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. So, you see, this wasn't the first time that Israel had sinned against God. But formerly, when they had sinned against him, God forgave them. He restored them. He covered their sin and turn from his hot anger. So based on that past experience, then the psalmist appeals to God's steadfast love. And he asks him to save them again in verses 4 to 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Uh, the word uh, restore uh, in verses 1 and 4, and the word turn from in verse 3, and the word revive us again in verse 6, they're all different translations of the same Hebrew word. Uh, and so they convey the idea of returning and restoring. And so the psalmist is basically here appealing to God's character as described in Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Right? Though God is presently angry with them, they're appealing to uh, the fact that God's not going to remain angry forever. He's appealing to the fact that God's uh, gracious, that he will turn back again to his people, restore them again. And it's based on that confidence in God's character that the psalmist now appeals for a deliverance. And this is really helpful because uh, when we sin against God, I don't know how your tendency to respond is uh, to God. And sometimes... Uh, for me, like I can feel like, oh no, I definitely can't go to God to pray right now. You know, I can't seek His face sometimes. You know, because I need to clean up my act a little bit. You know, before I can go back to Him. You know, or or you could feel like, oh, God's definitely unhappy with me right now because you know, is He's probably exasperated. He's like, can you sin in the same way I've told you, com- confronted you again and again, mm-hmm. yet you do it again and again, and He's uh, He's fed up with me. You know, that sometimes we could feel that way because, and that's really kind of then we're expecting our worthiness, really, uh, to be the basis for our appealing to God, right? First beginning. But, but the psalm teaches that that's not the case, right? It's not too late for God to help us. Uh, that it's God turns back to us not because we deserve it, uh, not because we've cleaned up our act sufficiently, but because of His steadfast love. Uh, and, and we have been fickle and unfaithful to him, but he is faithful and steadfast in his love toward us. And it's because of his steadfast love that we can uh, turn back to God. That's the basis. Um, 
And so having appealed to God's steadfast love, the psalmist then uh, affirms uh, God's steadfast love in the following verses. Uh, he, uh, he says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Uh, so he's expressing the faith right, that he has to the rest of the worshipers gathered with him, uh, that God will speak peace to his people, to his saints. And because of God's steadfast love and how he turn, turns back to them again and again out of his steadfast love, uh, it's all the more important that these people not turn back to folly. Again, this is the same word that was repeated before. Um, so it's, if, if God uh, restores his people, it's to be the height of wickedness for, and foolishness for them to turn back again from God after he has turned back to them. And so in verse 9, it says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Um, the word salvation is a key word in this psalm, and it's repeated three times. And in verse 4, God is described as the God of our salvation. And verse 7 says, grant us your salvation. And verse 9, it says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. And I think uh, these descriptions are helpful because they always associate salvation exclusively uh, and uniquely with God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's no one else that can save. Uh, and because God's the one that was uh, basically uh, his, whose, whose wrath was incurred through their sin, it's only God who can rescue them and forgive them and pardon them uh, and restore them to peace. And, uh, and so and because uh, the psalmist expects this, uh, that salvation will come from the Lord, uh, and when the Lord uh, is near to them, uh, his glory will dwell in the land because glory is really a summary of all of God's attributes. Uh, then in verses 10 to 11, the, he unpacks what God's glory consists of. Uh, it says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Uh, faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Right? These are really the most fundamental attributes of God described in two pairs of words that are in apparent tension with each other. Um, so steadfast love right, conveys the idea of being magnanimous and gracious to someone. Uh, even when that love is undeserved uh, or unexpected. Uh, it's the idea that's captured by the, our, our, one of our favorite Christian words, right? grace, right? mercy. Uh, but God's not merely gracious and loving. He is also faithful. right? And when we use the word faithful, we usually mean being faithful to someone or something else. Uh, but in Hebrew, it's the same word that means truth. And it's sometimes translated as stability or firmness. And when used of God, it refers to the fact that God is always true to his character. Uh, he's true to himself. Uh, so then the question is raised, and the word meet can also mean confront. It's the same word that means that. So it's kind of it's playing on that polarity. Uh, and so how can God be both true to his holy character and just standards, and at the same time be gracious to a sinful people? How can God, how can steadfast love and faithfulness meet? Um, Obviously, there would be no disharmony if we weren't for people's sin. But when the people, his object of love, are sinful, how can steadfast love and faithfulness meet? And a similar contrast is seen in the pair righteousness and peace, right? Righteousness is often translated as justice and points to the reality that God defines what is right. He is just, and he is the one that executes justice on the earth. 
peace, on the other hand, conveys the idea of right relationship with God and one another and the whole world. Right? It doesn't refer to an absence of conflict as such, but to a state of being whole, uh, being made right and in right order with God and uh, His design for creation. Uh, and there can only be peace right, in a world that is made right. So when people that He loves are unrighteous, when they are unjust, how can God grant them peace? Because there can be no peace where there is no righteousness. And so when will come a day, as it says in verse 11, when righteousness that looks down from heaven will find faithfulness looking up, back up from the earth? When will that day come? And, and these tensions are not ultimately resolved in this psalm, uh, but they point to and are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Because right? John 1.14, Apostle John describes the glory of Jesus as the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The words grace and truth being John's translation, uh, the Greek equivalents of steadfast love and faithfulness. And likewise in Hebrews uh, 7 verse 2, Jesus is described both as the king of righteousness and the king of peace. In Jesus, the the divine attributes of God that are intentioned seemingly because of sinful people uh, are fulfilled and fully displayed. Uh, it's, it's, and and this, be, this is because uh, God's steadfast love towards sinners and His faithfulness to His character, His holiness and justice, they collide on the cross, right, where Jesus dies for the sins of His people. Because God's holy, He can't excuse our sins, uh, yet because He's merciful and gracious, He bears the punishment Himself instead of punishing us for the sins that we have committed. Uh, and by dying on the cross and rising again, Jesus uh, makes righteousness and peace. Yes, that He makes uh, His steadfast love and truth meet. Um, and and so then, for us, in order for us to experience that peace, to have rightly ordered relationship with God, for our lives and our world to be characterized by righteousness, we must uh, cling to Christ right, and His gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ because there's salvation in no other name than his name. And, uh, and when we are in him, then that tension that existed is, uh, is removed. Uh, and now, in perfect harmony, steadfast love and faithfulness coexist together. Uh, let's pray uh, together that, that and sing together about that steadfast love and faithfulness of God.